name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. I want to confess to you that whenever I hear this story from Acts, I think about that scene from Pirates of the Caribbean where Jack is in a cell and the pearl is firing on the city and the shells come in and break the cells down so that everyone else who's in prison gets out and he is still stuck. If you haven't seen the movie, Jack is sort of a crazy pirate captain who's a little lovable and a little redeemable, but he's mostly kind of selfish and squirmy. And he ends up in this cell and the shell breaks out every other prisoner except him. And there's this little hole in the corner where he like tries to climb up and climb through, but it's not big enough for him to get out. So he goes on to have a royal fit. So it's sort of the opposite of the story that we heard in Acts. <laughs> and Jack Sparrow is probably the opposite of Paul. But I think about it every single time I hear this story. What's happening in Acts is sort of a, a fascinating story, and there's two pieces to it. And the first part, we sort of have to look at. We're not going to spend a lot of time there, but we have to look at it. Paul and Silas are going to pray in Philippi, and they're, they're going to the place that they like to, to pray, and they're expecting to have a sort of quiet, nice, probably contemplative time. And there's this woman who's following them around who's possessed by a demon. And Paul cleanses her not because it's the right thing to do, not because he's a good guy. He does it, the text tells us, because he's annoyed. And the reason that's important is because Paul is human. I'm about to say some really nice things about Paul, but you need to remember first that he's human. He's just as flawed and broken as the rest of us. And even though he had the ability to save this woman, he doesn't do it out of the goodness of his heart. He does it because she's annoying him, which is pretty normal and pretty human. He wants the problem to go away. So in the gospel this morning, Jesus is praying for the disciples. This text is, again, part of the farewell discourse. So this is the last time Jesus teaches the disciples while he's still alive in the Gospel of John. Judas has left to betray him, but he's yet to be arrested. That's what happens after this whole speech that he gives the disciples. It's the same section where he tells us to love as we have been loved. And today, the Gospel tells us he prays for the disciples. Not just the disciples who are in the room, but for all of the disciples who are to come, who will believe in him because of the eleven in the room. He's praying for all the disciples to come, which means he's praying for you. He's praying for us. And above all the things he asks for in this gospel passage, the one thing he talks about most is unity. He says a couple of times that they may be one, completely one. And he puts that in reference to the way that God, God the Creator, God, the first person of the Trinity, and Jesus, the second person, are one. And so to understand how complete that oneness is, we have to remember that as Episcopalians, we believe that Jesus is both human and divine. And we say in the Creed that Jesus shares substance, is of one being with the Father. 
So the oneness of God and Jesus is complete. They are of the same being. We believe that God comes to earth and puts on flesh, but is still God. Jesus is God is the short answer to that. So that unity to which Jesus is calling the disciples is really impressive. There are no barriers between God and Jesus. No difference, no hierarchy, no stratification, nothing that separates them. They are literally the same being, and they share the same substance. And that is the unity that Jesus is praying that we will have in the gospel. Complete unity. And it's kind of a tall order, if we're honest. We say it, by the way, in one of the versions of the prayers of the people. We're going to say it in a few minutes. The response from the people is that we may be one. It's something we pray together pretty frequently. And yet, I'm not sure that it's all that easy. It would change the way we thought about people, though, wouldn't it? If we understood that everyone around us, not just the people we love, not just the people we feel close to, but everyone around us was of the same being as we are, of the same substance, literally part of our body, part of our life, part of our experience. Surely that would change how we treat everyone else. We'd learn how to treat people more like the people we love, who, if they were hurting, we would try to fix it. We would try to shield them. For the people we love most, it sometimes feels like there's no barrier, no difference between us and them. This is the unity to which Jesus calls us in these prayers. And still, when I look around the world, I, I wonder if we aren't more divided now than we've ever been. And that's for a whole host of reasons. And it's true in the church as well. Some of you know that I was just at a conference uh, a little, almost two weeks ago now where priests from around the country gathered to talk about the church. And one of the things we talked about were the divisions between us and the deep wounds that those leave. And that's true in the church true in the world. We're divided by all kinds of things, by stories that claim us and claim to be louder than other things, by sin, by the things we build, the obstacles, the difference, the hierarchy, by things like racism, by gender and class, by the ways in which we decide who counts and who doesn't. Certainly we're divided by politics, by the things we disagree on, so how is it possible that we can have this unity that Jesus calls us to in the midst of all those divisions? How is it possible that we who take Jesus seriously can really believe in that kind of unity when we are divided on so many levels? The answer is not Jack Sparrow, in case you were wondering. But the answer is in the passage from Acts. It took me, I'll admit, it took me a long time to find it. I had to look at it a lot this week to figure out how that connects to this unity. But here it is. Paul does an amazing thing when he's in prison. First of all, even though we decided he was human at the beginning, this terrible thing sort of happens to him because of it. He takes a good, solid beating, it sounds like, and then he and Silas and his companions are thrown into prison. 
And while they're in prison, he takes that pretty well. He sings some hymns and says some prayers and continues to praise God, which I think is commendable, despite his sort of humanity. Most of us, when thrown into the worst situation of our lives, may not respond quite so well, but he does. He sings hymns and he says prayers, and that matters to the people around him. And then in the middle of the night, God sends an earthquake, and the cells break open, and the chains that are on their feet break off. God has literally freed them from prison, and still they sit in the dark. It's the worst prison escape ever. Seriously. They just sit there in the dark. And the guard, who was in charge of holding on to these prisoners and sort of keeping them out of trouble, wakes up, sees that the cells are open, and is about to kill himself because he knows he'll be killed anyway for having lost them. Which is why Paul stays. Because Paul has learned how to follow Jesus. And he hasn't gotten it right all the time by any means. We just saw a problem in the beginning of this passage. But Paul chooses above everything else to try to love the way Jesus does, which means he looks at that guard who the world tells him is his enemy, who is of different race, of different ethnicity, of different power, of different faith, of different government, of different politics, of different everything who the world says is his enemy, and Paul says, I cannot be responsible for this man being hurt. So they stay in prison to protect the life of this man who the world says is their enemy, who is more different from them than anyone else on the planet. And when the guard wakes up and realizes what's happened, the text tells us he goes in and says, how can I be saved? Because when we are able to see even the people the world calls our enemies as part of us, as part of our being, as part of our substance, as essential to our own freedom, we end up not only freeing ourselves, but freeing everyone around us. The guard finds his faith and is set free, and Paul and Silas and his companions walk out of the prison anyway. Everyone is free because Paul chose to honor the life of someone else, the needs of someone else, over his own. It's hard work. The good news of the gospel and the good news of this last Sunday in Easter is that we don't have to do that work alone. Jesus is praying for us even before we are born long before we come into any meaningful kind of being, this gospel tells us that Jesus is sitting in a room with the people he's closest to and praying not just for them, but for us. So that we might know that kind of unity that comes only when we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for the people who are most different from us. Long before we were born, Jesus was praying that we might figure out together how to be of the same being and of the same substance. And on this last Sunday in Easter, that is the good news, that in this passage, Jesus promises us a part in the story, and not just any story, a part in the actual glory that he wins on the cross, a place in the kingdom. 
So I'd ask you this morning to consider who the others are in your life. Who are the people that the world tells you are your enemy? Who are the people that the stories and the voices and the powers of the world tell you are so different from you that you cannot relate? And how can you begin to see them as sharing the same substance, the same being, and understanding that your freedom and your salvation is bound up in their freedom and their salvation? The unity to which Jesus calls us this morning is deep and wide and complete. We don't have to build it alone, but we do have to choose it. So who are the others? And how can you honor their freedom, their substance, even as you try to claim your own? Amen.